Okay, so we are going to cover not all of these scriptures, but a lot of them. Alright? So you fasten your seatbelts, but the only reason I'm doing this is because you are super smart. I wouldn't do this just with the man on the street. They couldn't handle it. But you can, because, because you're really smart. So it might be hard for you to keep up with what, you're, what I'm going to do, but I have a lot of things written out. So for me, it's easy. I just turn the page. It's all, it's all here. But I want you to hear what's, what went on. Let me start with a story. When I was, was uh, graduating from, from undergraduate, I had had a great experience in a local church. And then I, I was praying before I had to go to graduate school that the Lord would lead me to the right church in the new town in which I was going for graduate school. And I was praying all summer. They sent to me a newspaper. They used to have physical newspapers that were made out of paper. They sent that to me because I was a new incoming graduate student. And I remember looking through the church ads and there was one from a fellowship that was called Upper Room Christian Fellowship. And for some reason, my eye just stuck there. And, 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 uh, but this is often the way the Lord speaks to me. If I'm true to really pray about something, He'll drop something in my mind. I drove out to graduate school in a rental car. I was coming back, uh, walking back from, from the, the car rental place. And as I was walking back across campus, it was a Sunday morning because I had driven on a Saturday, and I saw a, a, uh, a sign that said, Upper Room Christian Fellowship, come worship with us. And it was exactly as, as I had seen in the paper. And I went in and I worshipped in the church. It was a little bit different format and everything. Nonetheless, it was, it was uh, a, a, uh, an important um, uh, time in my life because I said, this is the, the one that... that uh, I was wondering, is this where the Lord would have me? But a local church for me was very important, where God wanted me. <clears throat> and then, uh, uh, then I went back. I was, I was going to go. It was the following Sunday. And I said, Lord, unless you speak to me specifically today about this church, I'll go back today, but I won't go back anymore. I'll start looking for other churches. And, and I, read off, I read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. When I'm done, I start again. I've been doing this since I was an undergraduate. And I was in, in Luke chapter 22, and I started reading where I left off the day before, and I was on my knees reading, and it said, and, and I just finished praying, Lord, show me what church I'm supposed to be at. And, and it said, uh, um, go, and a man will show you an upper room, and there you are to have the Passover feast. And the peace of God just filled the room. Now, God often speaks to me like this. Now, I don't just go looking through the Bible and do this. I don't do that, because... You know, you might say, what should I do today, Lord? And you go like that and says, uh, Judas went out promptly and he hung himself. <laughs> so you don't want to just do this. But this is where I was reading, where I was praying, what I was praying about. So anyway, this church turned out to be a charismatic church. I had never heard of a charismatic church. I didn't know what a non-charismatic church was. I'd grown up and I'd spent the last two years of my college in a, in a the last three years of my college in a Bible church, but I didn't know the difference. Nobody ever said anything. Well, then I went back after a few months to Syracuse because my fiance Shireen was there, and I talked to my pastor and I said, you know. Uh, these people prayed for me that I would receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And he said, they what? You've always had the Holy Spirit. And so he was very concerned that I was in this charismatic church. And here I was torn. You know, I knew what God had spoken to me. I love these people. And I was torn in this. Has this ever happened to you where you get torn between two camps of people that you love? And, but then I told my pastor from, from Syracuse, I said, you know, here is how God spoke to me. And once I described the way God spoke to me, he says, you have to continue to go back to that church. 
because He is the one who taught me how to hear from the Lord. He is the one who taught me to pray, to seek God, and God will speak through His Word. So that's to preface. So let me start reading a few verses. We're going to read Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 and 19 says, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He said to Peter, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This is important for what we are about to speak about. Then, if we look in the book of Acts. Now, the book of Acts is an historical book. It is not a book of doctrine. The doctrine in the New Testament is given to us in the epistles. The book of Acts is an historical book. They did many things wrong in the book of Acts. And, and, uh, uh, but we see patterns there. But what happens is people try to make doctrine out of the book of Acts. So let's see what the book of Acts says. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. So Jesus said to his disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. So he told them it's going to start in Jerusalem, Judea, which is the area surrounding Jerusalem, and then in Samaria, the, the, the uh, upper region uh, north of Jerusalem. And then throughout the earth. Then it's going to spread, in the Bible that means to the Gentile world, to the non-Jewish world. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 14, we see the coming of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven noise like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. So this was the disciples on the day of Pentecost. That means 50 days after the Passover. That's one of the feasts where the Jews have to return to Jerusalem. They're there on the Passover. 50 days after the Passover, they're there. The Holy Spirit fills the disciples, it says, and they start to speak with other tongues. Well, what does that mean? It says then in verse 5, Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. The Jews had already filled Jerusalem. This Jerusalem was filled with Jewish people from throughout the world. Everybody that could get there was there for the Pentecost. When they heard this sound occurred, the crowd came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not the... All these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, and the visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. That means the people who had not been Jews, but they became Jews. Proselytes, Christians and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongue speaking of mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking and saying they're full of sweet wine. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem. Remember what Jesus had said? In Judea and Jerusalem. Men of Judea and, and, and those who live in Jerusalem, let it be known to you and give heed to my words. 
And then he tells them, this is, they're not drunk as you think. They're speaking. But what they heard is they heard tongues in their own language. This wasn't unintelligible. It was intelligible. At least these tongues here were intelligible. They were hearing it in their own language. Each person from their own place. So what do we see? We see the filling of the Holy Spirit. They spoke in an intelligible tongue. And there were other observations. Peter was present. So Peter was present. Remember Jesus had said to Peter, you have the keys. You're going to open it up and nobody can shut it. Peter was there. He was present. There was no water baptism. All the people there were Jews. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. It says, um, Acts chapter 2, starting from verse 36. It says, therefore, this is, this is in the same instance, in the same occurrence, um, Peter starts preaching. It says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent! And each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children, for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to Himself. And with many other words, He solemnly testified and kept exhorting them, saying, Be saved from the perverse generation. So then, those who had received His word were baptized, and they were, that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Okay, so remember up top, the disciples. What happened to them? They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke with intelligible tongue. Peter was there. Now, what do we see in Acts chapter 2? It says, repent. It says, be water baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. That's part of the package, he says. But there's no tongues. Nobody spoke in tongues. Peter was there. They were all Jews, but nobody spoke in tongues. So, you see the problem with trying to set up a doctrine around any one of these events? Every event is a little bit different. Which one are you going to go with? You can't set up a doctrine here. Let's look at another event, Acts chapter 8. So that's the Jews. The door is now open to the Jews. You don't have to have Peter there anymore to bring the, have the Holy Spirit fall upon, uh, upon the Jews. It's already there. Now in Samaria, Acts chapter 8, verses 4 through 6 and then 12 through 17, it says, Therefore those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as he heard and saw the, as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. Verse 12, But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of uh, and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon himself, that, uh, uh, that's not Simon Peter, this is another Simon, Simon the magician himself was baptized, after being uh, believed and was baptized, and he continued on with Philip, as they kept observing signs and great miracles taking place. So now you see something new. You see great miracles taking place. It says great miracles. It's not like, um, I was driving to church today and all the lights were green. Whoa, that's a miracle, man. It is. It's not a little miracle. This is great miracles were taking place. All right? Great miracles were occurring. So that's the problem. You want to say, when a person gets saved, it has to be accompanied by great miracles? If you pick this up as doctrine, that's what you'd get stuck with. 
It says, Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the Samaritans had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. So you see, the, the Holy Spirit came as a second event. They had to wait for Peter to come. Peter was the one who had to open the door to the Samaritans. He came, he prayed for them. So what do we have? They believed, they were baptized in water, great miracles took place. Peter comes, and with the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit comes. There were no tongues. No tongues were spoken. And now Peter has opened the door to the Samaritans. Never again will Peter need to be there for the Samaritans to get filled with the Holy Spirit. Never again. He was needed there for the Jews to receive the Holy Spirit. He was needed there for the Samaritans to get the Holy Spirit. But he's never going to be needed again for that. Acts chapter 8, verse 25. So, when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. So, they're going back now to Jerusalem from, from Samaria. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Get up, go to the, to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and he went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasures. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. There was an Ethiopian coming to Jerusalem to worship? Yes, there were Jews in Ethiopia from the days of, of the, the Queen of Sheba. There had been Jews in Ethiopia. If you go to Israel today, you will see Ethiopians who have immigrated, who are Jews, who have immigrated to Israel through right to return. And in fact, many Ethiopians in Jerusalem are part of the police force in Jerusalem, the security forces in Jerusalem. And so you see it even to this day. And so, and he, and he was returning and he was sitting in his chariot and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and he said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said to him, well, how could I unless somebody guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit in his chariot. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this, and they read from the book of Isaiah. So this eunuch is riding back in a chariot. He's a very wealthy man. He works for the queen of Ethiopia. And he says, come on up in my chariot. So Philip's thinking, this is kind of nice. You know, before he was running alongside, he gets up in the chariot. He starts to preach to him. And in verse 34, it says, the eunuch answered Philip and said, please tell me of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning from the scriptures, he preached Jesus to him. And they went along the road and they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? Immediately he wanted to be baptized. And Philip said to him, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered him, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered that the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water. And I'll tell you, baptism in the scriptures, they always went down into the water. They had to go to the Jordan. If it was just a little sprinkle, why bother going to the Jordan? Just a cup of water, you're done. It was always getting dunked in water. That's the scriptural way. If you haven't been baptized and you're a believer, you really ought to be and come under conformal, uh, uh, conform to what the scriptures command us to do. He, he says, and Philip said to him, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And then he ordered the chariot to stop. They went down to the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but he went on his way rejoicing. 
So what happened? The eunuch believed and he was baptized in water. No tongues. No need for Peter to be there. This was a Jewish guy now. Peter had already opened the doors for the Jews. You don't see the, the, Holy, the infilling of the Holy Spirit as a separate act. You don't see that. Now, if the guy didn't have the Holy Spirit, you'd think that, that Philip would have said, okay, now we've got to make sure you have the Holy Spirit too. He's not going to leave the guy to go back to Ethiopia without the Holy Spirit. It looks like it's all one event. That's why it's hard to build a doctrine around any one of these. Acts chapter 10. Now the Gospel is coming to the Gentiles. We've gone from the Jews, Samaritans, now to the Gentiles. Verse 48 of, verse 43 of Acts chapter 10. Of Him all the prophets bear witness that through His name everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins. That's Jesus. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who had came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. These Gentiles were sitting there. Peter is preaching a message. He didn't even ask them, do you want the Holy Spirit? you want to get saved today? He didn't, he's just preaching the message. Boom! The Holy Spirit just drops on them. Just bam! And the Jews are amazed. And they start speaking with tongues. There's this amazing testimony. It says they, they, they saw them speaking with tongues and exalting God. We don't know if it was an intelligible language or not. We don't know. It doesn't say. Surely no one can refuse water for these to be baptized to have received the Holy Spirit, just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to stay on for a few days. Then when Peter goes back to Jerusalem, he's reporting this to the, to, the, uh, to the disciples in Jerusalem, to the apostles in Jerusalem. They're all upset because he went and he, and he had fellowship with Gentiles. You weren't supposed to do that as a Jew, but Jesus broke down that barrier. Now the apostles and the brethren, so this is Acts 11.1. 1. Now the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised took issue with him saying, You went to the uncircumcised men and ate with them? But Peter began speaking and proceeding to explain to them in orderly sequence. The New Testament is so Jewish. I am amazed that Gentiles come to the Lord. I am. It is so Jewish. Everybody in the Bible, in, in the book of Acts, who was getting saved was a Jew. All of a sudden, God drops upon the Gentiles. And the, and the Jews are like, can Gentiles really get saved? You know, does, does it work like this? And then Peter starts to explain to them in Acts 11, verse 15. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as He did upon us at the beginning. Peter said, I was just starting to speak. And the Holy Spirit didn't ask me. He just fell on them. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John, baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as he gave to us also, after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? What happened to the Gentiles? Peter was there. They listened. They believed. The Holy Spirit fell on them immediately. It was not a second event. It happened all at once. As soon as they were listening, they listened, they believed, boom, the Holy Spirit hit them. Not a second event. Tongues started coming. We don't know if it's intelligible or not. And then water baptism. Water baptism followed. So Peter was there. All the, the, they were all Gentiles except for the Jews that had come to ministering with him. And now the door is open to the, the, the Gentiles. Now, 
Who was the apostle to the Gentiles? Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. How do we know this? Because it says, Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, Peter the apostle to the Jews. Paul got saved in Acts chapter 10, the chapter before this. Why didn't Paul come and do this? Because Peter had to open the door. Remember what Jesus said, through you, you're going to bring it to the Jews, you're going to bring it to the Samaritans, and you're going to bring it to the Gentiles. Once it's open, it's open. And now Paul can take over. We know that that Peter was the apostle to the Jews. We know this, all this from Acts chapter 9, 15, Romans 1, 15, Romans 11, 13, and Galatians 2, 8, and 1 Timothy 2, 7. It says that Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. Peter was the apostle to the Jews. But Peter was needed to open that door. There's many other conversions in the book of Acts with no separate event of the Holy Spirit. Now that the door is open, you see no separate events where the the Holy Spirit comes as a separate event upon people. It all comes together. This is in Acts chapter 11, verse 20 and 21, Acts chapter 11, verse 24, Acts chapter 13, verse 48, 14, 1, 14, 21, 14, 27, 15, 8, and 9, 16, 14, and 15, 16, 30, and 30 through 34, 17, 10 through 12, 17, 32 through 34. Is that enough? I mean, there are multiple instances of the Holy Spirit not being a separate event. So you'd say, okay, from now on, it's never a separate event. They always come together. Not quite. (laughs) When you get to Acts chapter 19, something else happens. Acts Acts chapter 19, verse 1. It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. He said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Isn't that interesting? Paul is asking them in Acts chapter 19, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So in other words, you can believe without having the Holy Spirit? Paul asked them this question. How else would you read this question? And they said to him, no, we have not even heard whether there is the Holy Spirit. And he said, into what were you baptized? And and they said, into John's baptism. Now, John baptized in water, and the agreement with John was this. John said, whomever I point out to you as the Messiah, you're going to believe. That's what his baptism spoke of. And everybody who, who John the Baptist pointed out and said, that's the Messiah, immediately they started following him. Tremendous following of Jesus immediately because they had already been baptized and made the agreement with John. But these believers had gone away to some place. These were Jewish believers in in John's baptism, but they didn't hear about the death and the resurrection of the Messiah. They never heard about the coming of the Messiah. They were in some other place. So Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. So what happened? We didn't need Peter there anymore. John was able to handle this. These were Jews. The door had already been opened. But they, already, they believed in John, but they had never heard about Jesus. So now they believe in Jesus. They're water baptized. The Holy Spirit comes via the laying on of hands. Tongues fall upon them. And they start prophesying. So you add that to your doctrine too. There's another thing. What doctrine do you get from this? You can't get a doctrine from this. But I want you to see, do you see how there could be a group of people 
that believe that the Holy Spirit, the coming of the Holy Spirit, is a separate event from getting saved, just by reading these passages, don't you see that some people might take away that message? Do you see how some people might take away the message that when you believe, the Holy Spirit comes all at once? From these passages, you could get that, right? Any reasonable person will say, yes, I see that somebody could read some of these passages and get that message. So that's possible. It is possible to have that. So you can't set up a doctrine from the book of Acts. Acts was never meant to be a doctrinal book. It's a historical book. The filling with the Holy Spirit over and over again occurs for a specific task. This is where the Holy Spirit just comes upon us again and again and again for a specific task. How do we know this? From Acts chapter 4, we see this. We see it beginning in Acts chapter 4. Verse 29, it says, And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. So this is Peter and John. They're out ministering. They've already received the gift of the Holy Spirit. They've already spoken in tongues. All of that. Now, they're arrested and they're praying for strength. And while you extend your hands to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed... The place where they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the Word of God with boldness. They were filled with the Holy Spirit? Huh? I thought you had received the Holy Spirit back in Acts chapter 2. Now you're in Acts chapter 4 and you're filled with the Holy Spirit again. The Holy Spirit drops upon people according to our need. When you are confronting something, you pray. And I do this all the time. I say, Lord, fill me. Fill me to overflowing with the power of the Holy Spirit. Fill me to overflowing. This is what I'm praying for. Not that I would receive the Holy Spirit like the first time in my life. No, I want more. I want more of this power. It says, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the Word of God with boldness. When they had prayed, the place was shaken. You can pray. And very few believers ever take advantage of this. Very few believers ever take advantage of the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit to say, Lord, fill me. Fill me to overflowing. Bring that message through me. As I teach this Bible study today, Lord, teach me. Show me. Give me the expressions. Give me what I need. Lord, speak to me. Lord, as I give this presentation at work, show me what I need to say. You can do this in your personal work. I do it all the time in my work. I do it. In the chemistry lab, I pray, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit to see, to understand this data. To see where other people don't see. The scriptures say that the darkness and the light are the same to God. So I say, Lord, the darkness and the light are the same to you. For everyone else it's darkness. Make it light for me. Make it light. You can do this. You can pray for the infilling of the Holy Spirit to come and to touch you and to fill you. Very few believers ever take advantage of this. Because for some reason they're afraid of doing things that, that would involve the Holy Spirit. And I can never understand that. God is a spirit. God is a spirit, and those who worship Him must come to Him in spirit and in truth. You can receive the Holy Spirit upon asking. If you're wondering, well, you know, maybe I never received the Holy Spirit when I got saved. Well, then ask God for it. Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, verse 13, Jesus said, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Ask Him then. So what happened was, in this upper room, when they prayed for me that I would receive the Holy Spirit, and I, I thought I'd already had the Holy Spirit, but they wanted to pray for me to receive the Holy Spirit. I thought, can't hurt. 
I mean, what, what, what are you going to do? You know, I'd be, just pray for me then. You want me to have the Holy Spirit pray? And I was diligent. I mean, as an undergraduate, I would knock on doors. As a graduate student, I was knocking on doors all the time and praying for people and, and, and lots of things happening through my ministry. It's just a young guy. But they thought I didn't have the Holy Spirit. Okay, well then pray for me. And they all got around me and they prayed for me. And then they felt I had the Holy Spirit. They were happy. I was happy. We were all happy. <laughs> and it's okay. And I've learned how to function with both different sides, the charismatic side, the non-charismatic side, it's never been a problem for me. Half of my adult life I've spent in charismatic churches. Half of my adult life I've spent in non-charismatic churches. And I've never left the church. Once I become a member, I just plug in there. If there's problems, I plug in. I'm going to do it. And, and it's never been a problem for me. And I couldn't understand, what's your problem? You think I don't have the Holy Spirit? Let's pray right now. Give me more. I'll take more. John chapter 6, <clears throat> Jesus was confronted with people who wanted to leave because things kind of upset them. Their life didn't go exactly how they had thought. John chapter 6, starting from, to read from verse 52, and we'll, we'll jump around in, in 52 through 69. Verse 52, it says, Then Jews began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Think about this. Jesus had said this just above, and it says, the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So you would think that Jesus would say, look, I'm speaking allegorically, okay? Calm down. Calm down. I don't want you to be upset because we know you should never be disrupted in a church. You should never be disrupted at a Christian retreat. Everything should go smoothly. Your life should never be, 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 be muddied at all. Everything should just be clean, clear waters for you. No. Here is their response for saying, how can he give us his flesh to eat? Here's how Jesus responds to their bewilderment. Verse 53. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. That's Jesus' response to their bewilderment. Does it bother me that you got all your, your, your feathers ruffled at the retreat? No, I'm happy. Finally, you know what I'm talking about when I say this is going to happen to you. It's just like when Jesus spoke to the disciples. He told them this was going to happen and it happened to them. Like, What's going on here? This is exactly what happened to you. This is what Jesus did. He didn't bring them just a word of clarity. You think he's speaking allegorically? He says, my flesh is true food, my blood is true drink. Huh? If I hold an apple here, and I say this is an apple, you might think, oh, that's an artificial apple. I say, this is a true apple. You say, okay, it's not an artificial apple. Jesus said, my, my flesh is true food, my blood is true drink. How confusing can it be? Therefore, verse 60, many of his disciples, when they heard this, they said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that the disciples grumbled at this, said to them, does this cause you to stumble? What if you shall see the Son of Man ascending where he was before? 
It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. As a result of this, it says in verse 66, many of His disciples withdrew and were not walking with Him anymore. Many of His disciples withdrew. You would think that Jesus would go, whoa, 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 whoa. Look, we're about numbers here, you know. There's a whole book in the Bible called Numbers. Come on back here. He didn't. He let them go. He let them go. Because their feathers were ruffled, they wanted to leave because they couldn't understand Him. So Jesus said to the twelve, the only ones that were left were the twelve. Jesus said to the twelve, you don't want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter said, where shall we go? We believe that you have words of eternal life. We have come to know and believe that you are the Holy One of God. Things will happen in your life that you do not understand. Things will happen. Remember, there was a, there was a young guy, he, he got saved, a Chinese young man, and then, then, uh, um, then his wife got saved about a year after him. She got saved, and, and uh, uh, then you know, they, they got in an argument, like, like all couples do. And you know, he came to me, he was so flustered, he said, I, I don't know if I can be married to this woman. I said, why not? What's the matter? He said, it's just terrible, it's just so bad, it's terrible what happened. He said, what happened? He said, she said to me, if this is what Christianity is like, I don't want to be a Christian. I said, is that all? I said, I've, I've said much worse than that. That's nothing. In a marriage, that's nothing. And Shireen was sitting, yeah, that's nothing. <laughs> We've said much worse to each other than that. I said, yeah, you guys have no idea how to argue. <laughs> it says in Job 6.26, the words of one in despair belong to the wind. The words of one in despair lo- belong to the wind. I said, just let it go. This is nothing. She was just upset. She was just upset. And then he was okay. <laughs> what are you going to do? You're going to leave a church just because the pastor says something that ruffles your feathers? You're going to leave? It's going to happen all the time. You're going to go to another church and you hear it again. You're going to leave that church? What are you going to do? Something happens in marriage that you don't like? You're going to split from your marriage? You're going to disown your children when they're going to say things you don't like? That's going to happen a lot. In the most embarrassing moments, they will say things. Are you going to disown them? What are you going to do? You don't just pick up and leave when something happens. You don't leave groups just because something happens. You stick with them. You learn how to do this. You don't pick up and leave. That's childish to do that. In 1 Corinthians 14, verses 1 and 5 and 13, so, so the whole chapter, we'll pick out certain ones. Verse 1, it says, Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. If spiritual gifts scare you, then you need to read the New Testament and say, Lord, bring my heart in conformity to the Word of God because my heart is afraid of the Word of God. Lord, let me not be afraid of you. It says in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 14, desire earnestly, earnestly spiritual gifts. Desire them earnestly, not just a little bit. Well, if He drops it on me, fine. No. Desire earnestly the spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Prophesy. You mean prophecy is still working today? This is in the epistles. This is the doctrinal part. 
Verse 5, Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues. I wish that you all spoke in tongues. That's what it says. But even more that you would prophesy. And greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may receive edifying. So speaking in tongues and interpreting tongues, that would mean that the tongue is in an unintelligible language to most people and you need an interpreter for it. That's where all this comes from. It's not a bunch of hocus pocus dropped on us by the devil. It's right here. Verse 13, Therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue... My spirit prays. Paul says, if I pray in a tongue, he's even praying in tongues. Before it was speaking tongues. Well, speaking in tongues is just for intelligible witnessing. Going into a land that you don't know. Well, yeah, it's that too. But he says he's praying in a tongue. He prays in a tongue. My spirit prays. My mind is unfruitful. Meaning, I don't even understand exactly what I'm praying. But I'm praying in a tongue. You want to know where it came from? It came from here. This is where you set doctrine. So if that bothers you, then read the Word of God and say, Lord, get hold of my heart. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with my mind also. I will sing with the Spirit. I will sing with my mind also. See, even singing in tongues. You ever seen somebody sing in tongues that disturb you? This is where they got it. From this piece of doctrine. You don't want to walk in it? That's fine. Don't get it. If it bothers you, that's fine. God doesn't force gifts upon you. It's a gift, gift, gift. You, know, you can take it if you want. You don't want it, you don't take it. If it bothers you, don't take it. But the body of Christ is a broad tent. It is broad tent. And this is how we have to learn to function in the body of Christ. He says in verse 18, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. Paul speaks in tongues more than all? That's what it says. That's what it says. And remember, the Corinthian church was, was the assemblies of God of the New Testament. It was. He says, and he's saying to them, I speak in tongues more than all of you. <laughs> However, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. So he's saying in my personal life, it's a, it's a rich part of my personal life. Now, some argue that once the Bible came... These gifts were done away with. That's their argument. Let's see where they get that argument. Let's see if we can agree with them on that argument. They take this from from 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8 and onward. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8. Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think as a child, reason as a child. But when I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I am fully known. But now faith, hope, but now faith, hope, love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. So, they take from the verses that when, when, when the perfect comes, meaning the Bible, the Word of God, the New Testament, then the partial will be done away. But did you know the letter to the Corinthians was a letter? It was written already. It was already written. So it's not like when the, when the Word of God comes, then it'll... When Paul already penned this, they already had the Word of God. And then he says... But he says, we see through a mirror dimly, but then we see face 
to face. So other people say, that means in heaven we're not going to be exercising spiritual gifts because we're going to see him face to face. Some people take this to mean when the Bible comes, then we don't need any of this. Now, all I want you to do is be reasonable folks and to say, I see how somebody could have a view of this either way. Live and let live, all right? To each his own. Just to accept the brother, the brother or the sister who believes a little bit differently in the interpretation of this passage. That's all I'm asking you to do to accept them because he says the greatest of these is love. The whole culmination of that portion is the greatest of these is love. Well, I don't love that guy because he doesn't interpret that passage like I do. Paul's like, you, you, you just missed what I'm trying to say here. All right? So you're not going to agree with everybody on everything, but I'm telling you it does not matter. It really doesn't matter. There are some things that he has for us. Some things that he has for us that are retained. Now, that there are spiritual gifts. If you read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there's lots of spiritual gifts. He talks about, he talks about there's a variety of gifts. He, says, he, he, he talks about tongues. He talks about uh, words of knowledge, being able to discern situations. And, and he just lists them out there. But I want to close with this verse. It's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 5. We're going to close with this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 5. There it is. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5 says this, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Our gospel didn't come in words only, but it came with power and in the Holy Spirit and in full conviction. And I'm here to tell you that full conviction in the Word of God does not come in a week, does not come in a year. It comes in decades of spending time at the feet of Jesus Christ. I don't know where you are in your walk, but what I am saying is it becomes decades and decades of spending time before the Lord Jesus Christ. There is where you will receive power and conviction in the Holy Spirit. It is all about power and conviction. It is not just saying, wow, I got baptized in the Spirit. I'm going to do so many things. Let me tell you what this means. It means that you want to walk in the power of the Spirit, fine. But you don't want to cheapen it. And by that I mean you don't want to use it flippantly. So when a person says, God told me this morning to do this, and God told me to do that, and God told me to do this, as soon as I hear that, I think, that's fine, but I can't say anything to you now. I remember I was trying to counsel a young man not to leave school, not to drop out of school. He was going to go get a, a job with Microsoft, and, and, uh, and, and uh, I was trying to convince him to go on for his Ph.D. And, and uh, he said, you know, I was praying to God, and God told me that I should take this job with Microsoft. And I said to him, you know, I've been trying to hear God my whole life. I've never heard God that specifically. But if he said that to you, there's nothing I can say. Once he says that to me, what can I say? God told you to go to Microsoft. What kind of counsel can I give you? I mean, just, just, just a, you know, I'm just a short man. I got nothing. There's not, there's not much here. <clears throat> you know, what, what am I going to say to you? He's God. God told you to do that. Well, then the next day he comes to me and he says, I'll work for you. I'm thinking, didn't God just tell you to go to Microsoft? And this is what happens. When you say, God told me, God told me, God told me, it's cheapening the filling of the Holy Spirit, you can say in a much more mature fashion, 
I have an impression that such and such. Could it be that such and such? Because as soon as you say, God told me or the Holy Spirit told me to do this, you're unteachable. Nobody can argue with that. Who can say anything? So all I'm saying is you want to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, don't cheapen it. I would say to the other side, don't ignore it. Pray for the infilling and the overflowing of the power of the Spirit. Do not ignore it. There is this feeling like, oh, you know, those people aren't deep. They're not deep, you know. They just talk about the Holy Spirit this and mumble in tongues about that. They're not deep. Okay, take it deep. You want to take it deep? Pray, as Paul said, that you get these gifts, that you walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit fills you with power. And take it as deep as you like. But I'm telling you, that depth is only, only going to come through decades at the feet of Jesus, which will learn to make you strong. Learn to walk with Jesus. Has this calmed you? Are you all better now? <laughs> all right, nobody's going to leave any place. Everybody's, everybody's calm now? All right, let's pray. <laughs> Lord Jesus, thank You so much for Your Word. Abba, Father, I pray for these young people that You fill them now with the power of the Holy Spirit, that You grant upon them the gifts of Jesus Christ, the infilling that were promised to the church, and that You would grant them the power of the infilled Spirit to walk in all that You have. And Father, I pray that You give them lives that would spend decades at the feet of Jesus, being built up and firmed up at the feet of Jesus. Lord, I pray for these young people that you would keep them from being so shaken that they would leave you, but that they would say along with Peter, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. And we know and have come to believe that you are the Holy One of God. Father, I pray that you keep their souls and protect them for the glory of Jesus. Amen.